Jesus's priorities are for our salvation, and they inform us of our priorities as his redeemed. Let us pray. Father, today as we look at this passage, as we consider you, Lord Jesus, uh, praying, preaching, and touching this leper, show us the realities of what you came to do Show us the realities of your redeeming work that indeed your focus is on the ravages of sin in our hearts. And teach us today, O Lord, that we should also prioritize these things as we live in union with Christ as your redeemed. Bless us with your word. Bless me with faithfulness. Bless us with faithfulness in hearing. For Jesus' sake, and for his glory we pray. Amen. Would you please turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The Tyranny of the Urgent was written by Charles Hummel, and he provides insight into a dilemma that I certainly face, and I would suspect that that all of us face at one time or another, that we're pressured to do the urgent things, and we have to let the important things take second place. Hummel asked this question, have you ever wished for a 30-hour day? Experience shows that if we actually were given a 30-hour day, we would be asking for a 35-hour day. The point that Hummel makes in this book is that, and I quote, when we stop to evaluate, we realize that our dilemma goes deeper than shortage of time. It is basically the problem of priorities, end quote. Hummel was told by a manager of a cotton mill on one occasion 
where this manager said, your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important. And that really is the point that Hummel was making, and that often is a danger to you as well. Last week in verses 21 through 44, we, we saw Jesus and how his busy, busy Sabbath and the busyness of that evening, he was never letting the urgent things crowd out the important things. He taught in the synagogue with one as one having authority. He cast out a demon. He went to Peter's mother-in-law's home and there cast out a fever from her. Then at sundown, when the Sabbath was over, crowds and people were brought with demons and with all sorts of disease. And Jesus, there at Peter's home, spent that evening casting out demons and healing. And of course, last week, the, the point that we were making is that the purpose of these miraculous signs, exorcism and healing, was to support, was, was to announce, was to validate, was to authenticate that the kingdom had come, that the kingdom had come in Jesus' teaching ministry for the salvation of God's people. Jesus was never in danger of the urgent crowding out the important throughout his entire ministry here on earth. And our text helps us see today in Jesus' life. The, the important things that Jesus sought to do he prayed, he preached, and he pitied. Jesus prayed, verse 35. Throughout the Gospels, we, we find prayer as a priority in Jesus' life, even toward the end of his life. What was he doing in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross? He was praying. On this particular occasion, after having a busy, busy Sabbath day and a very busy evening after the Sabbath and with the prospect of another really busy day, Jesus got up early. The text tells us it was still dark. And he went to a desolate place, an isolated place, and there he prayed. The 16th century Protestant reformer Martin Luther reflects Jesus' priority in prayer. Luther said this with regards to a busy day. I quote, work, work, Luther said, from morning until late at night. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall have to spend the first three hours in prayer, unquote. Too often, we might say, I have so much to do, I shall get right to it, and if I have time later, I'll pray. Why did Jesus pray? Our Westminster standards teach what the Bible teaches, and it declares that Christ is one person with two distinct natures, true human nature. His human nature Jesus had a true body and a reasonable soul. 
with all its essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, states our confession. Further, our confession states, early furnished to execute all that was needed for Jesus to execute the office of mediator surety. And our confession teaches that Jesus preached and he taught and he performed miracles and yes, he prayed being furnished to execute these offices in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Puritan John Owen said simply that Jesus prayed because needed to pray as he was and yet without sin that everything necessary for him to execute what he was sent to do and one application of this for us today is for each one of us here today that that know the Lord Jesus Christ that we should be encouraged that we should be grateful because Jesus prayed in the power of the Spirit for those whom the Father committed to him in eternity to be his, to be his redeemed. He prayed for you and he prayed for me. Let's just read a couple of sentences of one of Jesus' prayers recorded in the Bible. You can turn there. In fact, I would ask you sometime today to turn to John 17 and read Jesus' prayer that he prayed in the power of the Spirit for those whom the Father had committed to him in eternity. And just a couple of verses Jesus prayed, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for we were. God's Jesus in eternity past Jesus prayed for you and me that's an encouragement another application is this we need to pray <laughs> we need to pray not to model prayer for other people we need to pray because we need to pray Justin Delahaye said this, I quote, Why did Jesus pray? Because he needed to. And if even Jesus needed to pray, what does that say of us, his younger, non-divine siblings? How arrogant must we to think we can survive without prayer, end quote. We need to not only pray, we need to see our desperate need power of the Holy Spirit. For those of us struggling with prioritizing prayer, I'm not going to do this, but if I were to do this, and if all of us were 
to respond according to reality without fear of being looked down upon if I were to ask, is prayer a priority in your life? Are you given to prayer like Jesus? I don't think any hands would go up. I'm not saying we don't pray. I'm not saying that we don't have prayer meetings. I'm just saying that one of the common struggles amongst Christians is to really prioritize prayer as we know it should be. And maybe the reason we struggle so with prayer is that we've fallen into the trap of not realizing that we need to pray. (laughs) We need it to survive. So I want to give you a resource. And here's the resource. Martin Luther, in my judgment, is one to look to as a model in prayer. And Luther wrote a little pamphlet for his barber, the fellow that cut his hair. If you look at pictures of Luther, you realize he didn't do a very good job. (laughs) And he, because his barber was struggling with prayer. And Luther wrote this booklet that, by the way, is available, and if you can't find it, see me, and I'll, we'll get a copy for you. It's entitled simply this, A Simple Way to Pray. And a simple way to pray is so simple. <laughs> the framework, Luther says, just take the Lord's Prayer and pray through each of those petitions in the Lord's Prayer, each of those sections. And then he said, take the Apostles' Creed and just pray through each of those statements in the Apostles' Creed. Make it yours. Make it prayer. And find that as you do, you'll be not only, you'll be communing with your Heavenly Father. That's what Jesus prayed to commune with His Heavenly Father but you'll find also that you'll be more and more aligned with the will of the Heavenly Father. Jesus prioritized salvation and to inform us of our priorities as his redeemed prayer. Secondly, Jesus preached. I I just love verse 36 (laughs) because I hope you all can laugh at, just kind of chuckle at Scripture because it's so real. I can just see Simon running around. Jesus, where is Jesus? Is he behind Jesus? (laughs) All these people looking for Jesus. Verse 36, Simon's looking for him. They're searching for him. What on earth could Jesus be doing? Certainly he's not praying. There's so much to be done. And so when they found Jesus, they informed him, Everybody looking for you. And many people were looking for Jesus. Many people had needs. Many people had diseases. Many people were demon-possessed and needed those demons to get behind them and get out of them. And Jesus' answer is nothing short of striking. This is what, this is what he said in verse Eight. It's just unthinkable 
Jesus said, we need to go preach. Stephen Covey wrote The Seven Habits of a Highly Effective effective People. Maybe you've read it. Number of those seven habits is this, put first things first. It's difficult to speak to someone who comes to you with an urgent demand Sorry, can't do that right now because I'm involved in something that's really important. Let's face it, we all want to be people pleasers. We, we don't want to disappoint people. And, you know, we're, all of us, in one way or another, are having to judge what's, what's an urgent demand that can wait. And if I don't do it right now, I may disappoint someone. I may not meet expectations. What's important that I just need to keep? putting my hand in the plow here and let that go. I really, I struggle with that. Jesus had been praying through the power of the Spirit, communing with the Father, being aligned and strengthened in the Father's priorities, His will, His calling for Jesus to put things, to put first things first. Prayer and preaching certainly were first things. Jesus' calling was to preach, to declare his good news, the good news of his saving work, the good news that the kingdom has come in him for the saving of God's people, the good news that what Jesus is proclaiming will indeed heal the greatest need of every person and the greatest need of every person is not a physical malady it is a grotesque heart that is ravaged by sin and Jesus came to preach to declare his work to bring healing to the heart Jesus shows us the first thing in his ministry in verse 38, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And I believe came out. And I believe that statement there, why I came out, like a similar statement from last week's text, points not to Jesus coming from Capernaum or coming from Nazareth, but coming from heaven. I think it's referring to the his condescension that we might read about in Philippians chapter 2, where he came down, humbled himself to take a human nature, to, die, to, to live a perfect life, to be born under the law, die on a cross, to be buried in a tomb. To, and then, of course, the, the glorious second part of Philippians, the exaltation, his ascension back into heaven, having completely saved his people. Jesus said, that's why I came. I came to proclaim and to, and to fulfill that, that work of the kingdom. And we've already been told of Jesus' priority in preaching in verses 14 and 15, where we read, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came out into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus was preaching to the heart. In verses 14 and 15. That was his calling. 
to declare what he would do to heal the sin-soaked heart. The priority of preaching emphasizes that healing diseases and casting out demons, while I'm sure were really important and helpful to the one afflicted, I don't want to make light of that. But Jesus can cast out every demon there is and heal every disease there is, and people will still go to hell. with their heart ravaged by sin. Jesus put his mission to seek and save the lost as, as the first things, even above healing disease. They were important. They validated, they announced, they, they authenticated Jesus' authority, that the kingdom had come, in him, yes, indeed. But Jesus' priority was medicine for the heart. Medication is to be comforted and assured. And let me just say, actually, blown away with gratitude <laughs> that the creator of the universe, the king of kings, the lord of lords, prioritized ensuring that his medicine for our hearts would be administered and would deal with the of sin and free us from it that our eternal destiny in heaven would be assured. Jesus preached Medicine for the soul. That was his priority. And he did that for He did that for our healing. Another application is to see that one of our priorities is to align with Jesus' priority in offering his good news. To those who desperately need his medicine for their heart ravaged by sin. In other words, the application is for us to grab hold of the privilege we have to be a part of God saving sinners and our part being the outward call of the gospel, proclaiming the sharing of the gospel, the telling others about Jesus, engaging sinners with the claims of Christ calling them to believe upon Christ, calling them to repent, calling them to trust. Romans 10, 14 through 17, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Part of God's means to save sinners 
is that some believer would engage that sinner with the gospel. We must prioritize engaging the lost with the claims of Christ. I learned something about the late Tim Keller, well-known preacher and pastor of Redeemer in New York City. And this is after his recent death and his, one of his uh, closest colleagues at Redeemer New York was talking about him. And Keller really had no interest whatsoever in the celebrity pastor title. In fact, they would not even advertise which site Keller was preaching on any given Sunday so people wouldn't flock to him. And Keller said in an interview that, that this individual repeated, Keller said, I really don't like it when Christians come up to me after a worship service wanting to get a picture with me, wanting me to sign their books, wanting to talk with me. He said, the reason I don't like it is because there are many skeptics that come to Redeemer on any given Sunday. And every Christian that talks to me so he can get a of what is it, photo bomb or whatever that thing is you do on Facebook? What's that? A selfie with Keller. Thank you. It's not one of my priorities. Every time somebody wants to get a selfie with me, it keeps me from what I'm called to do to engage the skeptic. May we have that same passion and commitment to prioritize the first things. The skeptic engaging the lost with the glorious good news that Jesus saves. May we pray to be aligned with God's priorities each day. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide us to lost people. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to engage the lost person. That we might be one who gives Christ medicine for the heart. Jesus' priority and his priorities are for our salvation and to form us of our priorities, prayer and preaching. And now thirdly, Jesus pitied, verses 40 through 45. Jesus touched one broken, disease-ravaged leper. I appreciate Carl giving a little commentary on leprosy. And it would be hard for me to put myself in the place of without gloves touching the raw skin of another person that has leprosy. I know that statement probably causes concern for our medical people here, <laughs> what I said without gloves, but, but I'm trying to make a point. I worked in a hospital during college. It's common for me to take care of people that had infectious diseases, 
and there's always this big sign on the door of the hospital room warning that <laughs> unclean, unclean. And the, the, the medical staff, including myself, would have all these precautions with mask up. This is well before COVID, by the way. Mask up, gown up, glove up. I mean, if there is some kind of a super barrier, cloak or shield that you could put over yourself, out whatever it takes because you've got to put a barrier between yourself and that infected person as you're trying to minister healing to them. And it's appropriate so because you don't want to get infected and you don't want to spread infection. And that's, that's why these barriers are so important. Where Carl read about a barrier, barriers that were put in place in the Old Testament Levitical Code from Leviticus 13. It was a measure of isolation to, to keep the disease from, from spreading, to isolate. Now, there was a physical medical component to it, but probably even the greater thing, there was a spiritual component because they were unclean and could not freely go even and associate with the covenant community. So Leviticus 13, 45 through 46, the leprous person who has this disease shall wear torn clothes and, and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall up and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And that phrase, outside the camp, may not make that big of impression on us, but to the Israelite, it did. It was, you are barred from the life of God's people. You're outside the camp. Most scholars understand the usage of the term leprosy, referring to that chronic disease that Carl described. Lepers were consigned to a miserable and pitiful life of isolation and alienation from the of Israel. They were dependent on charity. Lepers had some freedom. They could live where they wished for the most part, and they could come into the synagogue, but they would have to be behind a veil, behind a barrier, isolated from being with the people. A quote from Dr. Lane will be helpful here. Dr. Lane writes, in spite of these two provisions, living where they wished, worshiping behind a veil, leprosy brought deep physical and mental anguish for both the afflicted individual and the community in which the leper lived. The leper in our text today had been pronounced unclean by a priest. He was separated. He was alone, isolated. His very presence struck fear into non-lepers. This man's leprosy was a barrier to everyone except one. The leprosy was not a barrier to Jesus. The leper in Verse 40, took the initiative approaching Jesus. I mean, normally the guy should have yelled out, unclean, unclean, but he didn't. He was desperate for healing. 
and he humbled himself by kneeling before Jesus, imploring Jesus, begging Jesus to deal with his leprosy. The man said, if you will make me clean. I mean, this statement's striking to me. This man had some level of belief, indeed, that, that Jesus is a miracle worker, that he's healed all these people. Surely Jesus can heal him. But the man was also humble, and he said, if you will, Jesus, if it is your will. May, may we be like that, if it's your will, Jesus. I know you can, but if it's your will. How do we pray often? Almost demanding. Jesus responded in pity. He stretched out his hand. He touched. Jesus could have healed this guy without touching him, but he didn't. He touched him. The man with rotting flesh (laughs) probably flesh that was oozing with all sorts of stuff. I, I grapple with making it grotesque enough before lunch Jesus touched he pitied him I will be clean and he touched him and the leprosy left him Jesus sent him away sternly and this is I know there's somewhat funny part at least (laughs) Jesus said Listen, you go, go show yourself to the priest, get that, get that legal declaration that you are clean, and don't tell anyone. So the guy left. I think the only thing I can figure out is his joy just got the best of him. He's just so happy. And he started telling everybody about Jesus. He disobeyed the Lord. And Jesus' fame spread. Jesus couldn't even go into a city. He had to go out to these country places and people just flock to him. I want to make a few observations. First of all, Jesus did not let the man's outward disease keep him from coming into his presence. The disease had ravaged the man and the Lord broke down that barrier. It was as if it wasn't even there. That barrier of the Levitical barrier of that physical disease and man drew near the one who epitomized unholiness and being unclean drew near in close proximity to absolute holiness another observation Jesus and out of pity as he did with Peter's mother-in-law there was a purpose in Jesus touching sometimes he touched sometimes he didn't touch But in this case, he touched because, and the man became clean because Jesus was picturing something about his atoning work. About the fact that he would touch sinners. He would bear their guilt without becoming unclean himself. And then another observation Jesus commanded the man not to tell anyone, and the man readily obeyed. But what is the significance of this? You know, some today don't see the realities of the gospel because they're so hindered by focusing on miraculous signs. 
And one of the features of Mark's gospel is this very thing that people were so given to Jesus as the miracle worker that they missed what Jesus was really doing and preaching and declaring medicine for the heart. With these observations in mind, this encounter with a leper demonstrates how how the gospel operates, how the saving work of of Jesus is directed to the the sin-ravaged heart for healing, how leprosy, casting out demons, might, might deal with the outward ceremonial, but they can't touch the inward, truly important focal point to be claimed, that one might then come before God. Touch unclean sinners without becoming unclean himself to make them clean. And again from Dr. Lane, the cleansing of the leper indicates the new character of God's action in bringing Jesus among men. Salvation transcends cultic and ritual purification, which was powerless to arrest the hold that death had upon the living and issues instead radical healing. A couple applications. One is this. We are that leper. Once or are being pitied by Jesus. Religion, rituals, human effort has no power to purge the of man's sin that exists between man and God. The gospel message declares Jesus can knock down the barrier of sin and purge the ravages of it and the reality of eternal death from us make us spiritually clean that we would be accepted before holy God. We must remember if we have been brought in union with Christ, if we have been in eternity past given to Jesus and we have repented and believed upon we have been one who has been the object of Jesus' pity like that leper. And may we be thankful. May we rest in the one who pities sinners. May we rest in the one who has medicine for the soul and applies that medicine to the heart. May we continue to flee to Jesus who pities sinners for their redemption. You may be here today not viewing yourself as a leper, not not really desiring pity from anybody. Maybe you think you just simply don't need it. And my encouragement to you is to look at this leper with his flesh half eaten away just a horrible sight, and understanding God's sight, you're worse than that. Not because your flesh is eaten away, but your heart is corrupted and eaten up with sin. The barrier of sin is much greater than any barrier of a disease. If this man was allowed to approach himself, how much more will Jesus allow you to approach and humble yourself as you are in all of your vileness because Jesus knocks down every barrier
in order to touch the sinner without becoming unclean himself. And I have one more application, then we'll be done. If we've been pitied by Jesus and redeemed, how much should we pity other sinners as Jesus pitied them? We must not allow their sin, their belief, be a barrier to us. Like Jesus, we must push through it and engage the person. Engage that person's heart with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think too often Christians let the sin of a sinner keep them from serving the gospel in the life of that sinner. Jesus would have us do otherwise. True pity opens our hearts to engage the heart of a sinner with the claims of Christ. A first thing in our lives must be pity fellow sinners. To pray that God might give us a love for sinners. That we might pray for the Holy Spirit to protect us from becoming sinful ourselves in the midst of ministering to a sinner and to ask for all that we need to engage the sinner with the gospel. May we pray, may we pray that we would be faithful to give the outward call of the gospel. May we pray that we would be faithful not to allow the sin of sinners to hinder us from declaring the good news of the gospel, the healing medicine of Jesus, which they so desperately need. Jesus' priorities are for our salvation and to inform us of our priorities as his redeemed. Three priorities, prayer, preaching, and pity. The important things, the first things. May the tyranny of the urgent have no power over us to distract us from these three priorities as the redeemed of the Lord. Jesus' priorities are for our salvation and to inform us of our priorities as his redeemed. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we ask you to give us a heart for prayer. Enable us to see how much we need it. Father, give us a commitment to be your evangelist. Be your little pea preachers. That we would go forth and declare the good news of the gospel. Lord, give us a true pity for those who are lost in sin. That we might not let their sin hinder us from being the pharmacist who would give them the medicine they so desperately need for their hearts. Father, keep us from the tyranny of the urgent. Keep us prioritizing the first things as Jesus has showed us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.